Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? This week, we have a very special guest on our podcast, who is here to talk to us about the election tomorrow in the Philippines. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Liana, and I am a friend of Rina's, and I am from the Philippines. I've was born and raised there and yeah I have some feelings. <laughs> I had a lot of feelings when I was reading about yeah the election is wild in the Philippines right now but also the whole history of the Philippines is wild beyond belief. So I don't know where we want to start. Should we start with the current situation like what is happening? Who's running? Why is this a particularly interesting election? Yeah, sure. So, okay, we start from now. So, tomorrow we have our national election. So, that includes the president, the vice president, the Senate. So, we like do not have a parliament. So, the president is basically the most powerful person in the government and we don't sort of elect the vice president and president together. So, you can have like a president and then a vice president from the opposition. And For the last six years, we have had Duterte as our president. I mean, he's quite notorious internationally. And then our vice president is a woman named Lenny Robredo, who is pretty much the face of the opposition. And this election round is really interesting because Lenny is running for president after like a lot of people, like first she wasn't sure. And a lot of people were like, there's clamor for her to run and everything. And she finally announced it in Feb, but it was pretty late. So people were really at the edge of their seats, you know, thinking who's going to run against Duterte. So she announced it. And the other one running is Marcos. His name is Bongbong Marcos, but it's a nick. Yeah, <laughs> it's his nickname. He's Ferdinand Marcos Jr., also mm. called Bongbong, which unfortunately is not really that rare a name. What does it mean? Does it have a meaning? No, it's just there's this practice i guess in the philippines where nicknames are like double you know like jun jun bong bong may may or something you know so bong bong marcos is running for president he is the son, son of, of the former dictator yes, of the philippines ferdinand marcos senior is his yes, father he was the dictator of philippines um he was in power i think for almost 30 years he won i think two elections mm-hmm. and we don't allow presidents to run again so you're limited to one term and you can't be re-elected. I think that happened after his whole reign. Wow. Yeah. So, and running with him as his vice president is the daughter of Duterte. Great. <laughs> that sounds very incestuous. Okay. Yeah, it's the children of the... Dictator. Or of bad these, people. like, yeah, fascist. I mean, you know, it's like reality TV and soap opera so we've got Duterte who you said was notorious but just for listeners who actually don't know anything about Duterte he became very famous for this kind of war on drugs and uh, he has this sort of how do you call it like it's an army of vigilantes yeah so so before he was president he was a mayor for I don't even know like how many decades he was a mayor of Davao Mm -hmm. city which is in Mindanao and he was known for his Davao Death Squad. Oh DDS. Death Squad, yeah. yeah. 
They were known to be like these vigilantes that killed people that were put on these drug lists. But when he won, they kind of like reclaimed DDS and became like diehard Duterte supporters. So they use it very casually now. Like I'm DDS, which means like both things. Yeah, so they go around and they just shoot anyone who has any association with drugs, but because they are on motorcycles and they do Mm drive-bys and they just shoot people, they obviously a lot of times not only shoot whoever they're targeting, who might not even be into drugs, they could be petty criminals, they could Mm -hmm. be pickpockets, whatever, or just people they don't like. They also kill children, they also kill like a load of civilians. I once saw this really sad art installation, which was like a film about a grandmother who's taking care of her young grandkids in the Philippines because both the parents were killed. Yeah. But yeah, that is, sadly, it is pretty common. Like, yeah, there's this famous photo. I don't know if you've seen it. It won, like, a lot of awards. It was this woman on the ground holding, like, her boyfriend. And mm-hmm. it looks like this famous painting of, like, Virgin Mary or something. The Pieta. Yeah, La Pieta. Exactly. So, yeah, and... The crazy thing about these drive-by shootings is they were so rampant that at one point they banned what you call riding in tandem. So they actually banned two men riding on a motorcycle together. Because uh, it just put the fear of everyone. Yeah, or because like just instead of tackling like, you know, the issue which is extrajudicial killings and things like that. It's like, mm, it's the fact that we have two men riding in motorcycles. That's oh, the problem. No. Yeah, but if it was a woman, I think it was allowed. No, <laughs> oh, no. So apparently the drug war in the Philippines is now the greatest mass slaughter of civilians in Asia since the Khmer Rouge wow, in I Cambodia. Wow, I did not even know that. Wow. I mean, also, he ran on this as mm-hmm. president very, very honestly and openly. And he has the wildest quotes yeah like you can't believe them right when he was running he said last time he was like god will weep if i become president yeah he also said germany had hitler the -hmm. philippines had and then he pointed to himself and he said hitler killed three million jews and if there are three million drug dealers i'm happy to slaughter all of them which is about three percent of the country because there is a problem with methamphetamine or shabu, is it called? Yeah, shabu. Yeah. Shabu in the Philippines. Not to be that person, but didn't Hitler kill six million Jews? Well, he, in his quote, says three million. He's not, he's probably not the most like, reliable source, reliable for, his source, source quoting, for history. I'm just quoting him. He also got into a weird Twitter battle with Chelsea Clinton. Oh, really? That's... Because he was talking about shooting women vaginas or something mm-hmm. like that, and... Uh, and rape and he was joking about it and he has a real foul mouth and she was like this is not something you joke about and then he started talking about her father fucking the intern or you know all over the office and stuff like that i think the sign of a good president is always if he decides to start a twitter war with someone that's when you know you've got but the thing about him is i don't think he he because he doesn't tweet oh Mm. you think it's his social media team no no i think it was probably like his mouth, it was like his on mouth, like yeah. cam, like he often refers to tweets and social media, yeah. but he's like fighting on cam. So he's probably saying that Chelsea Clinton, blah blah blah, all the cursing. But yeah, he he is very updated with social media. In a 2019 speech, Duarte said that he was once gay, but he had oh. cured himself before meeting his partner Zimmerman. He says a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, he says a lot of stuff. That's a wild like, I can't, statement you can't even to make, keep Yeah, well, just last week he said to his supporters that he's going to hell and so are they and they're all going to see each other there. I mean, like, why do you... Yeah. He has a real foul mouth. His mm-hmm. favorite thing to say is son of a whore. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Which he called the Pope. Putaning. Putangina. Putangina. Yeah. Putangina. But apparently it's not just limited to the Pope because one person counted that he said it 48 times in a 45-minute speech. Yeah. He often gives speeches or press conferences at 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm, that's a whole... There's a whole story. Like, Duterte in the pandemic, that's like a whole, like, book in tell itself. Us, tell us about <laughs> what happened. So he... I think he's also the oldest president we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And basically, there's a lot of, like, suspicion that he's very sick. But I think it is in, like, our constitution. I don't know. But I think... Presidents have to disclose. Like, I think we are allowed to get medical bulletins on their Mm -hmm. health, but they are super not transparent. There are a lot of rumors about, you know, him and going for dialysis or regularly or taking this and that, like fentanyl. They say he's addicted to fentanyl. So it's all these rumors about his health. And during the pandemic, he would like disappear for a while and then he would give these was it weekly updates about the pandemic and they would be at supposedly like 6 p.m. or something like that. And it would be like 1 a.m. or 11 p.m. And they would come really edited. Like they would not be like a live press con. It would be this heavily edited every like sentence is a cut. So people were like, you know, suspecting that he can't even like speak, put yeah. a sentence together. Because he's never really been edited. Like if you look at the yeah. stuff that he's saying... It's not like people are editing for sensitivity, so yeah. it must be yeah, edited exactly. for some other... No, and they keep the bad stuff in there. It's I think people were like wondering, were suspecting that it was edited for coherence. Mm. So, and there was even even this like wild situation where we hadn't seen him for two weeks, maybe wrong about the time, but he disappeared for a while from like the public, and people were saying, "Oh, he's dead!" Like there are always these like rumors that he was dead during the pandemic, and they posted a really fishy video of him like at night riding a scooter on in the grounds of the presidential palace and like look he's really fine he's really good and it's like in the dark in a mask <laughs> can and, you see him yes or no i mean you can see his like body and like his hair but it, you can't really see his face and he's in a mask and he would never wear a mask in his like press cons inside the building and they were like why is he wearing a mask outside in the, like, it's a garden, like, it's a field, it's open air, and now you're gonna wear a mask? So, there are all these, like, really wild, like... But is he fine now? I mean, I think he is alive. I feel like me saying he is dead and is a, like, robot, that would be super crazy, like, conspiracy theory, but he is alive, officially. It reminds me of, you know, the um, dictator of Turkmenistan as well? He, like, disappeared for a while, too, and then... They released this video being like, no, no, look, he's alive. And it's like a video of him like doing donuts near that fire pit in yeah. Turkmenistan. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's someone who's definitely alive. That's fine. Also like Boris Yeltsin. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place now, but mm-hmm. Russia, right? He was like really, really sick. And so they did the mm-hmm. same thing to him where they like replicated his office in Moscow in his like country home because he was too sick to travel to Moscow. Putin did that though. That was mm-hmm. all Putin's doing. 
So we don't know whether he's alive, but his daughter is running. running. Can I ask a question about mm-hmm. who can mm-hmm. run? So you were saying that presidents and vice presidents don't have to run together, mm-hmm. but they can, because you're mentioning that Marcos... Um, no, is- they, so they run together, but you don't have to vote for them together. Oh, I see. And they don't win together. It's not like, like in the US, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a ticket, you vote like Democrat, Republican. No, in the Philippines, you put the name, you shade the names. So you can vote for Marcos and... The opposition vice president. Gotcha. Yeah. The elections in the Philippines are not... It's supposedly a party system in that they run like with party names, but no one really knows or keeps track of that because they're not parties based on, you know, beliefs or platforms. They're personality politics, really. Ah, so, so you're voting for the people. Yeah. Let's go into the people. Tell us about his daughter. So, I mean, like, I hate them (laughs) so i don't know like the very details about her career but she used to be mayor too like you know political dynasties is another thing in the philippines like you have families where the father is the governor the mother is the mayor the son is the congressman the daughter is like Mm. the vice mayor i think duterte his his father was also a politician in yeah i think so and he well his children they were all mayors at some point and when and the other one is vice mayor so all that his daughter used to be a mayor of Davao and she's famous for punching someone on camera once who did she punch it was I think it was like a demolition of of I may be wrong of housing Mm -hmm. um so they were like demolishing these like shanties and then she punched someone I think I'm not sure if it was not not one of the people I think someone involved in the demolition or something so she has this image just like her father they have this image of like you know we're like tough and we have dirty mouths and and i mean that's also why duterte won like i mean that's a whole thing like why was he elected and i think that back then i was horrified but also not that surprised because um we were coming from uh, a kino presidency so you know just like i guess for background so marcus was the dictator and then we ousted him and we put in Cory Aquino, who was a widow of a political opponent of Marcos who was assassinated. So she didn't have any experience in the government. I, I think before that, she was a housewife. So she wasn't really like involved at all in politics. But when he was assassinated, there was like this grassroots movement to like get her to lead. And... I don't know if we've ever had a really good precedent, honestly. But I think the thing with her is a lot of people like also used that opportunity, like, you know, chaos is a ladder. Um, and that that held true still. So a lot of people would say that the history of like Philippine governance is just like one elite family to another. Mm. So yeah, like when Marcos stepped down, people were really happy because, you know, um he he had so many human rights, like, yeah, victims and, and crimes. But Aquino was sort of, like, more of the same, you know, of, well, not the dictatorship, but very, like, liberal policies. Her family is super rich. She comes mm. from, like, the Cuanco family, and they own these, we call them haciendas, these farmlands, and there are a lot of issues as well there. And there was a an infamous massacre during Aquino's time, the Mendiola massacre, which involved peasant farmers fighting for like land redistribution and then they were killed so you know there are also like it's always these layers and her son um was the president before Duterte so it's again Mm. mothers and sons and 
<sighs> you know, this is just a fun fact about Marcos. Do you know that he and his wife currently hold the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest ever theft from government? Yeah. And despite that, people don't believe that he is stole. It's certified by the Guinness Book of World Records. A lot of people don't care about that. They don't care about the Guinness Book of they World Records. They don't care. Nobody cares about the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> I feel like it's like the the this, this, this information, it's yeah, I think this Amazing. information had also a lot to do with mm-hmm. with the last election because, yeah. yeah, I was reading about how Duterte, actually, he didn't spend much on advertising and stuff. And you said he's not really social media savvy, but he had an instinct mm-hmm. for like, he put out a load of trolls on yeah. the internet. So actually, they do call him the social media president. Like he doesn't have an account, mm-hmm. but he hired, well, whoever hired mm-hmm. very, very good social media savvy campaign managers. So like what happened with Trump happened to the Philippines like six months before. And everyone was saying that, like they were saying like, look at the Philippines, but you know, the Philippines isn't really a a country that everybody knows much about. But if you do look at how it happened, it was very similar in that Facebook was one of the biggest pieces of this um, yeah it was because at that time facebook did this thing with internet.org which they kind of sponsored basically internet for all poor people or like you know that you could access off your phone but it only gave you access to like 20 sites one of those sites was facebook they had wikipedia they Mm -hmm. had uh, accuweather and stuff but obviously if you got Mm -hmm. all of your information coming through facebook and all these trolls and all these news stories, and you can't even click on them because if yeah. you click on them, you can't go to a, mm-hmm. another site. Mm-hmm. Then the noise sort of overtakes mm-hmm. your, you know, your perception, and that's the narrative that wins. So that partnership in the Philippines, they also had this with the telco companies, so the telecommunications companies, like our local telco companies. And so what would happen is a lot of the time you would like sign up for one company like with a plan and you could choose an app that you would have access to with the free they called it free data so a lot of the time people chose facebook because the philippines is also i think the number one country in the world in terms of social media use yeah so yeah basically we're we're addicted to social media (laughs) um and yeah so facebook people would be on facebook they would like communicate through facebook because They had free data. And yeah, like you said, you would read the headlines, no context, no rest of the story, and you would share it. And like that is how I think this all began. And now it's just evolved into like, I think maybe that sort of set the stage for people not trusting maybe news as much. Because Mm. now you have like, all the reputable news sites and channels like reporting the same thing saying, no, actually like the Marcoses have been convicted, blah, blah, blah. But then you have like someone on TikTok saying that no, they haven't and like Photoshop picture and then they'll believe that. So I think that opened up this whole like alternative news. Yeah, I mean, it's confusing. And then they had, I think he ran on like, one of the like powerful images was of this nine-year-old girl who was apparently, you know, raped and murdered by drug addicts or something. And then actually they trace back this picture and it's a picture from Brazil or whatever. But that yeah. really like emotionally gets everyone like, yes, we need to have this mm-hmm. war on drugs. 
And even though he was saying, yeah, I'm just going to kill them all. Mm. I mean, obviously, people are just going to jump on that and be like, yeah, kill them all. There's like a nine-year-old kid died. So, like, it was just really (laughs) smart campaigns. It was that. Plus, I mean, they were coming from Aquino, who everyone saw as part, you know, they're very elite. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was also this, like, very populist uh, wave of all these elite precedents. And even if Duterte is not, I mean... He's friends with oligarchs, especially in Mindanao, which is like where all these pineapple plantations and a lot of, and in mining, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them are there. So he is not any different really from the other politicians that they brand as elite. But when you put his dirty mouth and the way he talks, it's very populist and the, mm-hmm. the war on drugs is something that, you know, everyone sort of can understand rather than, oh, something very complex. Yeah. So yeah. then you can find something to get behind. And I think people were very angry with this because the Philippines is a very classist country. Like, I think it's pretty crazy. And that's, I guess, the anger of a lot of people. And Duterte tapped into that and the tech was there. And he had really good campaign managers who knew how to, like, manipulate. And also, if you spread a wrong photo, you know, if you have fake news and then you retract, it's going to reach maybe like 10%. Yeah, nobody's no, yeah. going to know about the retraction. Yeah. It doesn't have any impact, of course. Yeah. Okay, but now he's a zombie riding around <laughs> with this mask in the dark. <laughs> so it's a and weekend his... in Bernie's moment. You know, it's a corpse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and his daughter who punches people in the face, which is a step up, actually, because he really killed people and proudly says he murdered a bunch of people so punching in the face is quite mild but what else about her is there anything else oh they have a very interesting relationship i think the the father and the daughter because when he would make rape jokes and and all of these things like the whole shooting in the vagina thing his daughter would sort of like come to his defense and say like well i've been raped She's very, like, um... She's been raped? Sorry. Well, she said that. And then her father or her brothers were like, I forgot what the response was, but they kind of dismissed it. And I think that, you know, she's the sort of the, you know, that whole, well, I have a lot of blank friends, so I can't be, I have a lot of, like, Mm -hmm. I have a daughter, I can't be sexist. I have a, you know, so I think she maybe supplies that because... The rest of the kids... Oh, the rest of the kids are... So his eldest son, I think, was accused of, like, being a drug smuggler. <laughs> um, and there was this whole dramatic thing that I vaguely remember where he was challenged to show his back because someone claimed that he had a tattoo from, like, was it the mafia or, or some organized crime mark on his back? And he didn't remove his shirt and people were like, eh. so... <laughs> It's yeah. like living in a soap opera. Wow. Yeah, it is. It really, okay. it really is. So and she's the only one who's running, like, from that family. For the national elections. I think they are the current mayor. or She was mayor yeah. up until now. But I know that the other brother is vice mayor, I think. Okay, so that's her. And she's going to continue this war on drugs and just basically shoot everyone and murder people. Yeah, well, I think her most important task would be to keep her father out of jail. Okay. Yep. Um, I think that it's a very important election to Duterte because it could mean the difference between him going to the ICC and him living his last few days as a 
yeah. bike riding zombie in happiness. Is there is there really a chance that he's going to go to jail, do you think? The Philippines is not very good at bringing anyone to justice. Like, let's just say. Like, you have the Marcoses, for example. And I think that is also what fueled all of this historical revisionism. It's, it's the fact that no one has been put to jail, first of all. It's not that they haven't been convicted. They have. But Marcos Sr. died, so nothing came of that. But Imelda, his wife, who was actually in the dictionary, like Imeldific apparently is a word that means like extravagant. Is she oh. the one with all the shoes? Yeah, yeah. she's the one, she's with, the all one the with the shoes. Yeah, so Imelda has like almost, I think, 20 convictions. Yeah, of like graft. Because a lot of the like disinformation says that, you know, it's not true. All of these things they're saying about them being thieves because... They're not in jail. like. But the thing is, they're, I don't know how many cases she has. She has more than 10 cases on appeal. And she was actually sentenced in 2018 to uh, I don't know how many years of prison time for seven counts of graft. And I think she's out on bail and she was allowed to be out. You wouldn't usually be allowed to be out on bail, but she they let her go because she was old. So it was this whole like humanitarian thing and everyone is really mad because like her and another like senator who was also as old who was part of this whole uh, dictatorship as well his name is Enrile so they were let out and so people say that although they were exiled when we ousted them they actually never lost their privilege and their connections you know even like when they did come back in the 90s, they were still like attending events. They were still like socialites. So even if they weren't in the government yet, they were in the society pages. So that's like, they're accepted into elite society who makes up the government. And then eventually they all started running for office. And so I don't know how many times Imelda ran for president. She did like more than once. Of course, she she didn't really like get that many votes, but back then and um, the audacity just to be audacity. caught and like convicted mm-hmm. and to steal that much and just be like yeah, yeah. and so now the son of Marcos is running I just want to say about Imelda when she left the palace her luggage included 15 mink coats 508 gowns 888 handbags and 3,000 pairs of shoes some news outlets reported that she had up to 7,500 pairs of shoes yeah so there's this documentary called The Kingmaker and it was, I think, behind, like, a paywall. But then the last month, they opened it for, like, Filipinos to watch. And they even translated into different languages, uh, Philippine languages. And she, I think, admits there. If she doesn't admit it there, it's in the new, it's in other news sources. When they were fleeing the palace, she had stuffed jewelry in diapers. Because she had her grandchildren fleeing with them in, like, a private jet into, to Hawaii. And they, she stuffed the jewelry there. That sounds like they're going on holiday. Yeah. Fleeing on a private jet to, to Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So the son of Marcus, mm-hmm. of Ferdinand, is running now. Yeah. Okay, tell us about him. People say he's a bum. Like, he's super privileged. He was a socialite party boy. That's what the people knew him as. And he's never really held, like, a job or... He lied about his degree, even. What did he say? So Marcus Sr., the father, was also accused, and I think proven, to lie about war medals. So he said that he was like a decorated war veteran, and he wasn't. So now his son 
claims that he graduated from Oxford and it became this whole like sticking point because he didn't. And he puts that in like his CV and in his website and everything. But like, I think Oxford was emailed and they said he didn't. Like he did attend, but he never like finished. And I think the same with his sister. I think hers was Princeton. So they would always like go to these like expensive schools and have a mansion or what live in like a fancy place and then not finish. That's just a rookie PR mistake though. I know. You don't say I graduated from Oxford. You say I attended, attended Oxford. Yeah, yeah. So it's this whole thing and he was a senator 2010. He won as a senator so not I think not the last uh election because he ran for vice president in 2016 against Lenny. So this Marcos versus Robredo is a round two because six years ago it was Marcos versus Robredo for the vice presidency and Lenny Robredo beat him by a very small margin and he protested her win and he never stopped. It was junked by the Supreme Court already last year and he kept appealing and that was the final straw. And so everyone was like, basically in the last six years, what did he do? He appealed his laws. Bad loser. It no. says here that she won by a narrow mm-hmm. margin of 263,000. And oh, then wow. Bongbong Marcos protested results, alleging that the Liberal Party had manipulated the votes. A report released by the Supreme Court further widened her lead to 278,000. <laughs> so it backfired. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Okay, so we've got him... Roberto. So for president, we have the opposition, Roberto, Lenny. Well, we call her Lenny, so we can just say, yeah, so we have Lenny, the current vice president, is now running for president. Then we have Marcos Jr. And then we have a few other interesting characters. So we have Manny Pacquiao, the boxer, the world famous boxer. He is running for president. Is he good? As boxing or a politician? Uh, both. Nah. <laughs> I mean... It's both, nah. He is He could punch very... the other one. Yeah, well, that's what they're saying. But punching's already been taken as a political trait. I mean, he is a—he's kind of allied with some interesting figures too. But and he's also like very Christian, so he said a few things about like gay people and things like that. And yeah, so there's Manny Pacquiao, the boxer, and then there is Ping Lakson. He's a, a seasoned, I guess, politician, but he used to be like chief of police maybe 20 years ago there's him and then there is this very interesting and i mean that in a good way this time interesting candidate his name is leodi de guzman i think he's a labor leader and his slogan is mangagawa naman which means worker this time like someone from the masses this time so he's actually like he has a very like solid platform that's very not neoliberal because it's very different from like how the past you know governments have been and of course he's like red tagged um i don't know if you know like that's a term super common in the philippines it's tagging someone as communist and then it's often like at least in the last six years under duterte it's led to some like deaths so like people from the administration will accuse someone of being a communist or associated with the militant arm of the Communist Party of the Philippines, which has been at war with the Philippine government for a very long time, I think over 50 years. Is it illegal then? It's not illegal 
to have a communist-aligned party, but it's illegal to be part of that group because the CPP-NPA rebellion is the world's longest ongoing communist insurgency and is the largest, most prominent communist conflict in the Philippines. So how did, how did this start? So I think this NPA was born in Marcos's time, and then it grew, like the insurgency mm-hmm. grew because of the dictatorship. But then after, when, when he was you know deposed, Aquino came in, and we sort of went back to our like neoliberal government policies and everything. So the NPA remained at war with, with the government. And what did they do? They actually, like, have weapons and fight in the mountains. Yeah. Are they taking over territory? Not really. No, it's not like this is controlled. No, I think they are not that powerful. But it's it's really like these small, like, skirmishes with the military. But the thing is, other governments have had peace talks. Like, that is sort of the, the way forward that most people see like you know it's having them return to society and government and not having to be at war and having you know us be able to you know elect leftist parties without this red tagging and and i mean if you are basically a leftist in the philippines good luck you just be killed because you'd be red tagged and it's happened um in under duterte so they have this uh, this is so deep in the, the rabbit hole, but they have this organization called the NTFLCAC. I do not know what it stands for, but basically they are responsible for crushing the communist insurgency, but it's really like run by some like general and, and this spokeswoman who is very notorious for saying terrible things like Duterte. And so like what often would happen would you could say that someone is allied with the NPA and then a month later they are arrested for firearms found in their home. And then like that that was like a common thread. Mm-hmm. And I think during the pandemic this happened and there was a judge that they accused of issuing fake search warrants like fabricated like made up and and made up for made up reasons to search activists and some of them have been killed like some of the people who have been victims of these fabricated warrants or or made up cases have actually like died already so they're not necessarily part of the armed faction of the communists they are just accused yeah or 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 sometimes they're not even like leftists like Mm. they they could just be activists or journalists or rights workers or anyone who works closely with indigenous people or workers laborers so if there's any shadow of possibly left-leaning ideations, then you could be red-tagged. You could be accused. I mean, so many journalists have been red-tagged, too. I have a question about the NPA. And it says, like, the NPA, they regard Philippines as a semi-colonial, semi-feudal state where politics and economic powers concentrated on a local class of landlords Mm -hmm. and the bourgeoisie, aided by foreign imperialism, chief of which is the United States... In 2005, the NPA conducted the first recorded gay marriage in the history of the Philippines. I'm just reading this. I'm like, 
Oh, I'm on board with this idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I also <laughs> think that the NPA, like, with the, I mean, we, they also are very current with social media. I think they know that, like, ah, uh, the youth want gay marriage, so uh. let's do that. But no, I think, for me, personally, as a Filipino, it's just, it's sad that you can't even, like, elect left, you know, because ideally a government could be, even if you aren't a leftist, a good government would be sort of like a negotiation, right, between different parties. But what happens is if you just like utter something and someone says leftist, it's like, yeah, so, but it has like these repercussions. And I think it has to do with, with the U.S. because like the Cold War, the Philippines is a very important base being so near China. So the U.S. really made sure that communism was hated in the Philippines and, and really seen as really bad. I think they've managed to do that. Yeah, they have definitely. Yeah, that's true. They yeah. also, there's this interesting thing with the U.S. Can I just give like a really very brief history of the Philippines so that we can just understand where the U.S. came in? And maybe I have some questions, but I'll just do it in like literally five minutes. So basically, Spain came along in about the 1520s, planted some flags and said, you're our, you know, we're colonial power now. That's where they got their name from too, from King Philip. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then uh, they bought Catholicism. But then by 1896, there was a guy called Emilio Aquinaldo, who self-declared him the president and led this insurrection against Spain. He took over basically almost all of it apart from Manila. And then the Americans came in and the Spanish-American War kicked off. I have no idea why the Americans decided to get involved at this point. So the Spanish-American War kicked off and they were talking to the insurgents, but of course they thought that the Spanish were the rightful owners. So then they kind of did this weird thing where they were like fighting alongside the insurrectionists, but they were also talking to Spain. And then they started these negotiations with like the general basically in Manila saying like, hey, dude, you know, what are we going to do? And the guy was like, okay, fine, you know, just let them have it. But can we just, like, pretend that at least we fought for it? So they had this, like, fake war on August the 13th, 1898. There was a fake battle of Manila. Mm -hmm. didn't actually happen, just so that the Spanish weren't looking like cowards. And then the Americans took over the city. And at that point, so President William McKinley, never heard of him before, decided to annex all of the islands instead of just giving the Filipinos, like, their own rule which they Mm -hmm. wanted with this guy with Emilio but he was like no I think we should educate uplift and in his words Christianize them because they're not capable of ruling (laughs) themselves then the Treaty of Paris ended the Spanish-American Civil War and gave the US the option to buy the Philippines for 20 million dollars deal and so in January 1899 it then sort of belonged to the US and then there was this obviously the insurgents were super pissed because they had just overthrown one like colonial power and got a bigger one. They were not happy about that. And they continued fighting. The Americans weren't doing so good. They declared martial law. Horrific shit went down. Like, horrific stuff. They sent about 300,000 people to concentration camps. The Americans, The right? Americans. Yeah. The, the, the um, death march, is that the one? Oh, yeah. They marched, yeah. And then there was this horrific thing. There was this um, machete attack in August 1901, which wiped out basically an American garrison on the island of Sama. And the response by the Americans was to kill every single male over the age of 10. So everyone. They just killed mm-hmm. everyone here. And anyway, the insurrection obviously was just beaten. 
They were beaten by February 1902, but Roosevelt wanted to declare it on the 4th of July for, like, symbolic reasons, so it went on for another few months just for, like... So the 4th of July was the official end of that kind of war. And in the end, 4,234 Americans died, 20,000 insurgents died, and 200,000 civilians died in this whole mess. But, like, I still don't understand why Spain, Philippines, and then the Americans come along. Why does the United States of America do anything? I just, the more I learn about the United States of America, the more I'm like, what a garbage country. They have no right getting involved mm-hmm. in any political situation yeah. ever. Like, they have some sort of moral high ground in the world. I love, yeah, like, the freedom stuff is so hypocritical. Anyway, so mm-hmm. apart from, like, a three-year occupation of the Japanese, in 1946 declared independence, and then there was democracy... What's interesting about what you were saying about the left and stuff, because they introduced democracy after the image of the US, Mm -hmm. and it didn't quite work. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the whole political landscape is just different. Different, exactly. So it didn't import well, right? Because there's a big big difference between poor and and, and rich, and then obviously all those privileged people are just going to exploit the hell out of... Yeah, and also I think um, what happened was during the colonial eras, both of them, it created this class of feudal Filipinos that were Filipino but were very close to the powers and owned the lands and all of that so it's like you know they weren't really you know they they may have some of them may have like backed independence but once they were independent the like I guess the common Filipino wasn't really represented yeah so it was like this application of the U.S. Mm -hmm. models of everything and yeah but we don't have a a two-party system But the interesting thing also is that despite everything that the U.S. did, there's also this difference between the Spanish and the American colonizers, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. at least culturally, I I mean, like a regular Filipino, maybe the idea of Spanish colonizer is like this really, like, scary, like, evil, we call it like Guardia Civil, like... Mm marching and, and and being super cruel and the idea of the american era it's rosy they think about hollywood and access to all these things and i think it also has to do with the approaches that they took you know the u.s is very good at like this cultural hegemony thing and yeah. i think they came also the first americans came as teachers so I think they were first, even I think even before the, the wars, like they came on a boat and they were the Thomasites and then they put up the first university, a university of Santo Tomas. And I think it was the first university in Asia. I may be wrong. It was like in the 1500s. So they had this idea of the Americans as teachers and like benevolent people in general. And I think also when the Philippines was under American rule, they taught the Filipinos English, they used English. The Spanish actually kept it. Like they didn't want to teach them Spanish because that was the language mm-hmm. of the colonizer. Mm-hmm. So they separated themselves. So for a f- when when Filipinos wanted to to fight or to write about the horrible things Spain was doing, they learned Spanish and then they went to Europe. So we have like a national hero called Jose Rizal and he he wrote like a lot of these books, these texts that were nationalistic and and writing about the evil things Spain was doing but he did it in Europe and he was writing to the people in Spain like letting them know Mm -hmm. and he was able to do that because he could speak Spanish yeah so they like they didn't want access they didn't want Filipinos to read 
in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess the time and the, like, so from the uh, 16th century to the 19th Mm -hmm. century or whatever is a different time period. And the Spanish were very cruel colonizers, whereas the US was between, like, the end of, you know, the 19th century to, like, the mid, it was, like, 50, 60 years. It was not such a long period and then they got democracy afterwards as well so like mm-hmm. and then yeah. they used it as a base like you said a strategic base and and, yeah. this and i think also i have this theory that also the japanese occupation made the americans look good because filipinos and americans fought side by side because the japanese were very cruel like if you talk to old people like my grandma they like hate the japanese mm. um their ideas of them are like oh they're really evil they're super cruel and the americans they have like this picture of them that they are our allies they fought the japanese they freed us so things like that yeah and the japanese were like they did have like comfort women who were like, very like horrible things they were like beheading people en masse in in universities and yeah but it's this like I guess, relativity, you know, you have these, like, Japanese of during course, World yeah. War Two, and then these Americans are fighting alongside you, and then, yeah. There's... It's a lot of, like, just cruel people on top of cruel people, and then, yeah, yeah. of course, you find your allegiance with the best one of all of them, right? <laughs> the one who is kindest. <laughs> yeah. It's so shit. I know. But I think, I guess, that's why um, now it, it's, like... The U.S., we're not, like, under U.S. occupation, but our relations with them are very, you know, skewed and still exploiting the Philippines. And I think the interesting thing with Duterte is he liked to market himself as, like, this nationalistic guy who's going to stand up to the U.S. But, like, if you look at his policies, he didn't exactly do that. It's more of he opened up to China. So it's not now it's like we have two imperialists and the philippines won a ruling on the the west philippine sea so it used to be called the south china sea but we call it the west philippine sea now and duterte wasn't even upholding it in the past few years there have been so many news like reports about chinese fishermen fishing illegally and even like coral reefs being like damaged and they don't do anything so and it's always like the opposition that's like what about the un law of the sea blah 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 they're always like trying to point to it and be like, we have the right. And Duterte really doesn't do anything. And what's important to note is when he ran for president, he said, I'm going to get on a jet ski and like fight them. So a jet ski. Yeah, he, he did. So now up to now, people are every time he, they don't do anything about these like Chinese bullies and the, the, the Chinese fishermen. Everyone's like, what about the jet ski? So it was like this macho thing. Yeah, he's like, the best stuff. Like. He just yeah, comes out with all these stories about like how he pushed a rapist murderer out of a helicopter, you know, in a style of You know about the nun? The, the, the nun, though? No, tell, no, us, about tell us about the nun. No, so there was this press gone or something where uh, someone asked him about a time when he was mayor and an Australian nun, a missionary, was... She went to, like, a prison and then she was raped? And Duterte, like... I know what you're talking about, yeah. He he was mayor, so he actually, like, I don't know what he did to the rapists, but he, like, fought for the nun and whatever. But when they asked him about it, he said that she was really pretty and the mayor should have been first. In gang raping In gang raping her. So it's like... Yeah. Okay, so who are you going to vote for? I already voted. It's like overseas voting. So of course I voted for Lenny. And her color's pink. Yeah, so that's why, I don't know if you see Filipinos, it's like pink, pink, pink. 
So yeah. on, on Mondays we wear pink. Normally, you yeah, know, for goes on Wednesdays we wear pink, but yeah. tomorrow we all wear pink. Yeah, we have a thing also, like, on Wednesdays, they, they call it Kakam Pink Wednesdays. So, yeah. Ooh, well, fingers crossed for Lenny. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, the disinformation of this campaign, it's like... Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> my mind is blown by the Philippines. Yeah, like, I feel it's like, a lot. Yeah, I mean, that was a lot. And it's like, I feel like we haven't even, like, gotten into... This is the first time ever. I, I mean, it's not like I've been voting for, like, me. I've probably voted in, like, two, three past elections, but now they have all these rallies or demonstrations where so Marcos will like go to a province or a city and then like his supporters will go and they'll have like speeches and like a concert and there's like a competition like at least online where it's like, oh, like Marcos went to this province and there was like a hundred thousand people and then Lenny goes and it's like it's 250 and then yeah so it's like this it's a numbers game also because he's leading in the polls so Marcus is leading leading in the polls but people are starting to doubt because it's like it's not changing yeah that's I think that's a whole other thing he is leading like we haven't actually tackled that like he's running but he is very much has a chance of winning we are very afraid he, right now, there is this this survey called Pulse Asia. A lot of people are angry and don't believe it. I haven't dug into it, but he's at 56% and Lenny's at 23, I think. But a lot of people have doubts about this one survey. Other organizations have surveyed and it's not that big a gap, but he's still eating. So, What do you think his appeal is? Disinformation. So I think that... The machinery has been put into place and it's just so good. It's such a well-oiled machine that, I mean, the algorithms are just not on your side. And also, mm. like, the Philippines educational system is really bad. We don't have proper, like, education about the Marcos era and martial law. So if you put that all together, social media, and he's really good at social media. If you look at his, like, YouTube, he has this really, like, whole a day in the life of makes him really approachable so he has very savvy campaign managers and but it's not just the philippines i feel like it's everywhere yeah there was a marcus burial i mean marcus senior was has been dead for like since 89 and he's been not even buried he's been entombed in their home province which is ilocos and he's been in a fridge for like 30 years to be resurrected uh, you can see like, he's like super like swollen and everything but he was in a fridge for 30 years and you have all these pictures of Amelda like kissing the glass it's really gross oh, I thought you were say kissing his corpse maybe I don't oh. know he's, he's in a fridge so I guess but in 2016 when Duterte won Marcos was taken and buried in the hero cemetery it was the biggest thing I wrote my thesis about it and what is the Heroes Cemetery? So it's a hero Cemetery. I think it was started like in the American time, but it was like for war heroes. But we bury like our presidents there and national artists. So basically like respected people. And Marcos wasn't allowed to be buried there because he was ousted. And like Imelda, she really wanted this for a long time. And I think one of Duterte's main financiers was Marcos's daughter. So everyone was saying it was like a payback thing. And so not even like 
six months after he became president, he did that. Yeah, so Marcos is now in the hero's cemetery with a lot of the people that fought him. So it's like this whole like issue. Like, what did you memory. do your dissertation on exactly? It was about Facebook. It was like about memory and how two Facebook pages reacted to the burial, the reburial. Mm. Yeah, and like... They were both anti-Marcos pages, but like I found that, so one was kind of like leftist. So ideally they would be more nuanced, I guess, about like the crimes and everything. And then the other was a more mainstream, like anti-Marcos page. And I found that it was very performative and not substantial, like the way that it was like, never forget, never again. It's like literally just words you repeat with no context with no follow-up with no following up on like jail time or yeah other crime because it was also very like character driven I found because I mean Marcos didn't do all that by himself so like if you bring other people around him to justice then maybe you know you can start to say like this really happened they really did all these crimes but it's very like Marcos no one goes for the generals that were also complicit so I think that was a very important milestone in this people say project to revise history and like really clean the Marcos name, which has been Imelda's goal. And now it's really creepy to think about because in 2016, you're burying the dictator, you're moving him to a hero cemetery. And in 2022, his son might become president. So it's like, it works. Do you think it was a strategic move from then because they knew that they had a dynasty and they wanted to come back into power? Yeah. Or? Imelda has been on camera like several times saying her dream is for her son to be president. Okay. Yeah, so for sure. And he ran for vice president like in 2016. So it was already like in the works. They failed. So it was like, I guess it's like a little bump on the road. But now they're like trying again. So so they could win. So the children of the dictator. Yeah, they could. They have a, I mean, they're leading. But the thing is, we've never seen a campaign like this. You know, I, I think in the Philippines, like sometimes, I guess also because of the red tagging, like activists are like painted in a bad light. So people don't always demonstrate as a mainstream thing you know it's a very like oh activists do that but people aren't the mainstream like they don't see themselves as activists but here like every time she has a like a rally everyone goes and people are going like house to house which i have not seen like usually you'll have like a campaign team and then you know they're going house to house but here like you have volunteers who are just literally people who just meet online and they're like okay let's go start house to house and people are doing this and i think if you look at the polls, Marcos is still leading, but there's a trajectory where Lenny's going up. So I saw that someone predicted like a point where they intersect, actually. So Tipping we're point. still hopeful. <laughs> yeah, because he's kind of going down a bit and she's going up quickly. So fingers crossed. Yeah, we're crossing yeah. our fingers for Lenny. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for coming and Thank talking you. to us. So we normally do a thing at the end of each episode where we say three things you can do. To be a better person this mm. week. Okay. Can you think of any that relate to the Philippines or the election? One would be to like be more politically involved because voting is not the end of, you know, your civic duty. It's the beginning. So like whether Lenny wins or not, you know, she's not going to be the perfect president. So you still have to hold her to account. It's not like a cult 
of personality like we have with Duterte, it should be still like holding her to account and, and yeah, all of that. So that's one. Number two, do not doom scroll. So, you know, if you're like reading terrible thing after terrible thing, just get off your phone. Thing three, to be more imaginative in the ways that history can repeat itself. You know, like you say never again and never forget. And when the thief comes again, he's not going to pass the same window. So, you know, like we also say in Germany, never forget, never again. Yeah, maybe it's not going to be Jews this time. Maybe it's going to be Arabs. Maybe it's going to be, you know, Africans. So, yeah, just be vigilant, I guess, because we are repeating things right now. But because they're not exactly the same, we think we aren't. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.